This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. If you follow Rod Dreher, author of Crunchy Cons and The Benedict Option and Live Not By Lies, if you follow him on social media, you might have seen something on the American Conservative. Shock poll on conservatives and family. He's talking about a Gallup poll that shows a remarkable drop in conservatives answering the question that those who are having children should be legally married. A remarkable drop in the number of people who agree that that should be the case. The other shocking thing about the poll is that it's actually a year old, and I don't recall any mainstream media coverage of those important numbers. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. I do not recall seeing media coverage of this Gallup poll when it was released a year ago. And I haven't seen any mainstream media coverage about it to date. What does this tell us about the press and about the church? Well, it's it's kind of interesting. There's a phenomena that we see in social media from time to time where people say they're going to re-up something. And what they mean by that is like, this was important. I don't think it got enough attention or something is going on that makes me think that this, that, or the other is relevant, so I'm going to re-up it on Twitter. And one of the things that happens is when when you begin to see like a little boomlet arrive on Twitter, sometimes people don't notice, like I didn't in this case, don't notice the actual origin date of the item itself. In this case, I would be very interested in tracing back some of the scholars on issues of marriage and family who decided to re-up this poll and point out this particular element. It's also possible that Gallup may have put it back out. In other words, we can, we can look into that. But here's the point to me. This particular poll is so interesting. And for religion writers, who are sensitive to some of the things that's happening in the world of religion right now, the findings in this this Gallup poll just raise all kinds of newsworthy questions and so many issues, many of which you and I have talked about through the years. But here they all are again in kind of like a constellation of associated issues with one statistic. But let me go ahead and point one thing out to our listeners. Gallup called this a political poll. And one of the things I would point out about this, and, and my authority here is, although he is gone now, we, we lost him about a decade ago, I'm making this comment because of something that I discussed several times with the late George Gallup, Jr., And Gallup wasn't a fan of labels. 
and if you had asked him what he would think of the word conservative in this occasion, conservatives are losing their faith in marriage, or conservatives now believe that marriage isn't as essential to having a child and raising a child as they have in the past, <laughs> I, I can hear him asking, okay, what does the word conservative mean? And one of the things that Gallup frequently did was he inserted into his polls practical questions about how often are you going to church, how often are you praying, and then you can look at some things that overlap. And in this case, this poll does have an attend church weekly, attend church monthly, and seldom never attend question in here, and that's very Gallup-like. And that's one of the most disturbing factors, that in the category, see the exact wording, belief that it is very important that couples with children together legally marry, 45% of those who attend church weekly are not so sure about that. Now, if you, meanwhile, if you tried to parse that out, well, what about evangelicals? What about daily mass Catholics? I can think of all kinds of subgroups that I would want to know, because for several decades now, kind of functional minivan in the parking lot Catholics and mainland Protestants have been trending liberal on moral and social issues for some time. So there's probably some other things we need to know about this poll are things that Gallup could follow up with and something that reporters could follow up with. Because frequently, if you call the experts up, they'll be able to get you inside those numbers. They can dig a little bit deeper for you. But good grief, the, the numbers are surprising enough as it is. And once again, I'm surprised it didn't get coverage then, and I'm surprised we haven't seen any additional coverage or commentary outside of this Twitter explosion, which led to the Rod Dreher piece. So you've expressed your surprise. Do you want to offer an explanation for why these, and again, shocking numbers in a shift in attitude on a very basic issue that touches the lives of most Americans, not being reported in the mainstream press? Okay, well, let's go, let's move it from why don't reporters think this is a story Let's move it to the church, and I think you're aware that one of the things I've always been interested in is what does it mean when you have an important subject that pastors, in a host of different traditions, that pastors are literally afraid to preach on? And when, I mean, you could say that we've been watching this for the last two or three years now with vaccines and when you read stories, pastors are saying, this is just too hot a topic for me to discuss. It would divide my church too much. And with that in mind, I, I wrote out a list of some stories that I have heard in recent years. Pastors say that they, they just don't think they could get up in the pulpit, if the church still has a pulpit, and preach on these topics, that it would create too much division, and that that division obviously would be bad because we all know that pain is bad, 
But here's one that you and I have talked about before. How comfortable do you think pastors feel? And I, I could ask you about the Missouri Synod Lutheran, which is a, a an interesting body that's kind of mainline and at the same time very doctrinally conservative. How comfortable do you think pastors in your tradition are discussing cohabitation before marriage and whether or not they should delay a marriage or even deny a church wedding under those circumstances? Privately, probably mostly uncomfortable, but publicly very uncomfortable, given the number of times that it's discussed as a subject of Bible study or even a sermon, very uncomfortable. Yeah, and and at the heart of that is one of the questions out of the, the TMAT trio, that set of questions. I think we talked about them just two weeks ago, but this is a set of questions that in the, gosh, in the 1980s, I started asking these questions, and that was the first time I ever discussed them with George Gallup Jr. I started asking three questions when I was trying to probe divisions inside Christian or other religious flocks, specifically because of the doctrines involved. It applies to Christians. But if you'll remember that the TMAT trio, number one is, did the resurrection actually happen? Was the resurrection an event within history? Number two is, is salvation found through Jesus Christ alone? And then the third one, and the one this is the one that Gallup was most intrigued with, the way I worded it. Number three was, is sex outside of marriage a sin? Now, Gallup was intrigued by that wording because it's a doctrinal wording, not a political wording. And it also notes the fact that for traditional forms of Christianity, this isn't necessarily a gay or straight issue. Obviously, you get into issues about the definition of marriage, etc. But is sex outside of marriage a sin is something that the average pastor is probably going to face way more often with straight couples. And, you know, as someone who taught on Christian college campuses, I could tell you that our administrators and people who plan chapel programs, they were terrified to discuss this issue because everybody knows the doctrinal answer to the question. Not illegal, not the worst of sins, just a sin. Everybody knows the answer to the question, but at the same time, everybody can feel the ground moving under them. Before we go on with a variation on that, let me name a couple of other stories and subjects. As you know, I have found that pastors are way too afraid to talk about screen culture and the role of smartphones and video games in particular. And then when you look at screen culture, you then come up with two other subjects that you would think conservative pastors would want to preach on, but they can't talk about these subjects without discussing smartphones, computers, etc. And that, of course, would be pornography and video addiction, just whether or not especially young men, whether they're, they're in control of this aspect of their lives. And since you can't talk about it, you can't offer any solutions, 
because then you have people in your church arguing because they have different views of this. Now, let me give you an anecdote that shows, first of all, how old I am, but second, how long this these issues have been boiling or beginning to, to brew or pick a metaphor, any metaphor. So let's see. How old were you in the late 80s? I graduated from high school in 1982. Okay. So I was, I was 18... So in the late 80s, if I'm doing the math correctly, I would have been in my mid-20s. So think to seminary. Do you remember the first time you heard people discussing the True Love Waits movement? Oh, yes. And what did people think of it? Well, I think at first it was considered kind of a, maybe a good idea. An abstinence movement was very welcome at the time. And then, of course, we have seen this turn into almost a curse word in the decades since then with, with people saying that this was poorly done or that, you know, the chastity culture and, and all of these other things. But when I look back on it, I think back on it as a reporter, I interviewed one of the founders of True Love Waits way back at the very beginning. And what I thought was fascinating is the Southern Baptist Convention went looking for partners. And they, of course, were looking primarily at Southern Baptist congregations. And they also went looking to, they sought help from Roman Catholics, and they picked some other fairly conservative denominations and conservative churches to see if they would take part in this movement. And what I thought was fascinating, and it was about a year into this, the founder made a very interesting comment. He said, in Baptist churches, they were having a lot of trouble getting people to sign on to this whole idea of parents standing up with their children and making vows to help them live chaste lives and to avoid sex outside of marriage or to repent or whatever. <laughs> and he said, the interesting problem here, the problem isn't the young people. He said, the problem is that this subject is now too divisive with the adults in many Southern Baptist churches, and specifically with deacons who are divorced and are not so anxious to sit down with their children and talk about some of their own decisions in life and talk about their own struggles with some of these issues. And they would just rather the Southern Baptist Convention avoid that. Okay, that's the late 80s. So how long ago is that? Well, 30 plus years. I mean, that's right about the time my column started and I'm about to head into year 33 or 34, depends on how you, where you draw the line and how. So about the same amount of time. But you could see that pastors being afraid to talk about Christian teachings on sexuality related to cohabitation, divorce, adultery, premarital sex, you could see that a pastor's unwillingness to talk about these things. You add a couple of decades to that trend that they were already seeing in the 80s, in the late 80s, and how significant might that be today? Rod has a poignant anecdote in his post where he talked about 
discussing some of these issues with faculty at a very, he calls it a very conservative evangelical college. And he asked these faculty members, what's your number one concern? What are you worried about the most? And one of the faculty members said, I'm just really worried about whether our students will ever be able to form Christian marriages and Christian families. And Rod was shocked. And he asked, why? Why do you say that? He said, because they've never seen one. They've never seen it in the lives around them. And they've seen too many things that conflict with Scripture and church teachings. Well, all of this, I'm making it sound like this is strictly a doctrinal battle. And to some degree it is. But you can see that there are very emotional and volatile stories linked to this. To me, it's similar to the, you've heard me say that the greatest uncovered story in American Catholicism is the collapse in the number of people who are going to confession. Now, if you ask Catholic priests about that, one of the first things they will say is our people no longer have a sense of sin. They no longer have clarity in their mind about what sin is and what sin isn't. And that's what's the need to go to confession. I mean, they don't think they're doing anything that's seriously wrong. And of course, at the heart of a lot of that, especially for young people, are issues struggling with their sexuality and their sexual activities and some of the things that go with it. If I can, let me give you some other things you've probably heard about in the news that if you just stop and think about it, you can connect it to these Gallup numbers. Are you familiar with the term incel? Do you know what an incel is? Yes, I do. I don't know what the acronym stands for, but it's an unmarried man who has no interest in women or marriage. Well, actually, they have a tremendous interest in women and marriage, but they're involuntarily celibate. They want to get married, but they can't. And for many of them, this goes over into a pathological hatred of women and anger. But it starts with the fact that they're involuntary celibates. They want to get married. Meanwhile, we also see the average age for marriage getting later and later and later. And, of course, the longer you try to delay marriage, the more likely a young person is. If they're, I think average age for marriage now is something like 28 for women in American culture and early 30s for men. Well, if you try to delay sexual activity that long, you're going to have a lot of questions come up. And these are the kinds of things that you end up talking to your pastor or your priest in confession if you're in a church that has confession. Then you look at the falling numbers of marriages. I think one of the most relevant questions that you can ask right now in stories about which denominations and churches that are in decline versus which ones that are rising, you have to ask the question of how many marriages, how many weddings have taken place in your church in the last year? Is that number going up or down? Then this leads to how many infant baptisms are in your church? What's the average size of the family in your church? And then this gets you into issues of Christian schools and Christian education and the fact that homeschoolers tend to be people who have more children than people who don't homeschool. And all kinds of things are related to that. I could go on and on, but there's a cluster of very important issues in the modern church. And I know from 
I think I've mentioned before, recently I was the parish delegate from my church here in Oak Ridge at a meeting of the Diocese of the South of the Orthodox Church in America. And over and over and over, I heard priests saying that even during COVID, they were seeing rising numbers of young men showing up at their church. And these were frequently young men who felt their life was, they'd struggled, there were issues they were wrestling with, and they wanted to get married. They very much wanted to get married. And the problem is, in many cases, the churches don't have that many eligible women in the church that are interested in these men, these men who have, in many cases, struggled with some of the issues that we're talking about today. And and so this thing goes around and around and around. Terry, these numbers on uh, weekly, monthly, and seldom to never attending church are really shocking from... 2006, a weekly attender who believes that people who have children ought to be legally married, 65% in 2006, 45%. It gets worse for monthly attendance, 58% in 2006, and in 2020, 32. You mentioned about the church. Is it a chicken and egg situation here where pastors are afraid to address this issue? Having mm-hmm. not addressed this issue, their people have listened loud and clear. Well, yeah, they've been able to see with their eyes what the church is functionally teaching, or they are able to see what the church is afraid to teach or is too embarrassed to teach. There, In the Dreer Post, there's some interesting material here, and the two references that caught me as the most important, because these are important books. Have you ever had Carl Truman on your show? Yes, I've had Carl Truman on, and he's quoted in Dreyer's piece, wasn't he? Right. And and here's the key. He, he believes that what we're seeing here in marriage is directly related to the term he calls liquid modernity, which is this inability to believe that there is anything that is eternally or transcendently right and wrong. And once you're not sure what you can say about these issues, the thing begins to spiral. And then Mary Eberstadt, in a book almost a decade ago called How the West Really Lost God, she takes that concept, whether she's, I mean, Truman's book is is newer than hers, but she says that basically faith and family are like, she calls it an interlocking double helix that when one starts to decline, it pulls the other down. Now, how many times have you, I'm sorry to be asking you so many questions today, but I'm sincerely interested in the answers. How many times have you heard people still saying, oh, don't worry about this Gen Z crowd, you know, with the trans issues and the smartphone issues and the sex issues and pornography and all that, they'll get more conservative when they grow up, get married, and have kids. I've heard some express that wishful thinking. And it's getting more and more wishful. This is one of the things that shows up in the studies of the religiously unaffiliated. You used to be able to say that, well, the greatest generation, the World War II generation, they got more conservative when they had children. And that's certainly true. Then you look at the baby boomers and the children 
who came of age in the 60s, maybe the Woodstock generation wasn't quite as willing to get conservative with some of the issues in their own private lives and past. And with each generation that goes by, we see later marriage, fewer marriages, fewer children, later children, falling marriage rates, and in the midst of all that, we see struggles to defend church teachings on this. And Carl Truman would say that's because the church is colliding with, I would say, mass media forms of liquid modernity. And they don't want to admit how powerful these forces are in the lives of their people. And because they can't admit it, they can't preach about it, because they can't preach about it, they can't communicate the doctrines of the church effectively, and here comes the double helix. And the, the faith and family numbers keep scrolling down. Personally, when I looked at that Attend Church Weekly, I was shocked that it was only 65% in 2006. But I would guess that hiding within that number for 2006 are some pretty strong disagreements there between extremely active Catholics and cultural Catholics, between liberal Protestants and conservative Protestants, etc. And we're seeing all of that combined into one number. But there's no question which direction this is going. And I want to raise one other issue, and I don't think this explains it, but I, I know there was a bell I heard going off in my head when I read the wording on some of these questions. The wording is, it's very important that couples with children together legally marry. One of the things I, I've heard through the years is people involved in pro-life ministries who have had to try to talk to people about the fact that you're in a situation now, you're in a crisis pregnancy. There are choices worse than single parenting. There are choices that you'll regret more than proceeding to have this child and live with it if, if you can, with the help of your family and whatever else. I've heard that argument made by many, many pro-lifers and pastors and clergy through the years. I wonder to some degree if we're hearing a little bit of that in these wordings, and I'd like to kind of see, you know, what the next layer up. How about what's the percentage of people who believe it's important that couples get married before they live together, before they have children together, before they form long-term relationships? It's very clear in this survey that Americans still want to get married. Overwhelmingly, the numbers are people want to get married. The question for journalists to ask to pastors is, why are they struggling so much? What's the cause of struggles to form Christian families and hold these families together and have children in the context of an intact family? Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He is author of the weekly Odd Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion. 
part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.